Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. Let's welcome uh, A-team guest, Busiso Kaba, who is the co-founder and CEO of Africa Cannabis Advisory Group. Busiso, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much, uh, Patricia. It's great to be on the show. Uh, and uh, hello to all the listeners tonight. Now, when it comes to cannabis, it's one that is very contentious um, because even up until now, I personally am not sure of what the rules and regulations are of growing it um, in your own garden, utilizing it, the the sale of cannabis in South Africa alone. And I do know that there are some legal frameworks around cannabis and the use and the planting. Perhaps let's start there. Um, Educate me as Patricia. Where do we stand right now? with marijuana? Sure. So, um, Patricia, the cannabis regulations and and legislation are definitely very, very confusing in South Africa at the moment. Um, So, in in summary, um, in 2018, the Constitutional Court ruled that uh, the growing and possession and consumption of cannabis within a private space um, was a human right. And as a result, being able to um, consume and grow cannabis uh, is completely legal uh, in South Africa. However, the confusion firstly comes around the difference between decriminalization and commercial legalization. So decriminalization uh, means you can't be arrested for doing something, but commercial legalization means you can actually sell something for an income. Um, so we are in a country where People are allowed to consume cannabis, but not to trade it, except for um, um, what we term licensed producers for medical cannabis. So South Africa in 2019 uh, introduced a regulatory regime, uh, which was regulated uh, under the Department of Health um, for, um, at, for companies or individuals to apply for licenses to grow uh, cannabis for for um, commercial uh, reasons under a medical framework. Um, however, even under this uh, this uh, sort of space, um, this cannabis is actually only for export. So being able to actually trade or sell cannabis in South Africa is still um, uh, uh, is still prohibited and done under very exceptional exceptional circumstances. Um, to add an, an extra layer onto the confusion. Um, a specific compound within cannabis uh, called cannabidiol or, cannab- uh, or CBD, uh, which has got proven um, sort of anti-anxiety, anti-inflammatory um, properties, um, has been uh, rescheduled. And so that specific compound and products of that compound can actually be um, uh, traded. And that's where you see um, CBD products in your dicks, in your in your clicks, your diskins, uh, and so forth. Um, and so... You know, this, uh, you know, sort of uh, um, contradictory and, and, and very, um, you know, sort of multi-layered levels of, of regulation uh, make it for, make for extremely confusing uh, roadmap in terms of, uh, in terms of understanding what's happening in South Africa. 
All right, so if you as an expert in cannabis are uh, also seeing the confusion, clearly I'm, I'm not in the red altogether. But then I worry about those who for years have been uh, living uh, on, on um, income that they get from cannabis. Where do they stand in South Africa? I know in the Eastern Cape, a lot of people have, um, you know, raised families and, and been able to... to uh, farm successfully uh, marijuana but because uh, the legal framework is so sticky and has so many layers where do they stand um so that's an extremely important uh, component of, of how we think about cannabis because um south africa uh, is estimated to be one of the largest uh, growers and producers of cannabis um, obviously under um a sort of a historically um, relevant uh, track record where people have actually been using cannabis to uh, as a as a form of income, and uh, we've got hundreds and thousands of uh, cannabis uh, growers in, in in South Africa. Um, and so, one of the big challenges or disappointments with where we sit today in terms of the regulation is that there isn't a uh, framework that uh, looks to include this this demographic in the um, in the legal cannabis framework. Um, I think the one uh, area where we do find a little bit of comfort is, is the fact that under South Africa's draft National Cannabis Master Plan, which is a um, government-led initiative to really realize the potential of this industry, the government has identified the need for smallhold farmers and rural farmers uh, to be integrated into, the, into a legal framework. However, the details on how that is expected to happen are still you know, very, very, um, you know, um, opaque at the moment. Hmm. So how do those in uh, major retail stores source their um, cannabis for that particular strain uh, CBD that is sold on shelves widely? Sure. So most of it is actually imported. So um, countries uh, across the world that have sort of had a number of years to set up their um, cultivation, processing, formulation, and manufacturing capabilities um, are actually, in, are actually uh, exporting CBD to South Africa. Um, and, you know, you have a situation where, uh, because we've been so far behind the curve, um, we are actually not even utilizing the, uh, the potential that we have locally uh, to, to um, supply CBD to the market. Um, however, this is slowly changing, and more and more local uh, cannabis producers are beginning to be able to um, uh, to sort of under uh, to sort of supply the South African market under uh, sort of a, a, an exemption framework or an extra certification required from SAPRA. Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting that the CBD that's wildly um, sold on our shelves is not from local producers. It's interesting because we want the local market to thrive. We want the local market to enjoy the benefits of um, of um, you know CBD and and the entire cannabis value chain. But clearly, we are not there as yet. Exactly. Exactly. We have we have a very long way to go, and I think the. Um you know, one of the real focal discussion points that we have with uh, with government and, and various uh, uh, government and, uh, institutions is around the need for a sense of urgency in moving forward on creating a conducive framework for the local cannabis industry to really thrive, which will which should incorporate uh, rural uh, and uh, indigenous uh, growers. 
Um, you know, we sit with, you know, one of the highest unemployment rates in the world, and we, we as a country really struggle to, to produce employment opportunities. Um, and so we see cannabis as a high potential uh, industry that is, you know, effectively sitting right in front of us that we can really um, leverage to, to create jobs uh, for uh, for our people. And so from our perspective, you know, we are, you know, we, we, we're putting in, you know, a lot of effort into, into trying to expedite this process. Um, you know, we do have to acknowledge that the South African government does see the opportunity and is taking steps. However, the pace of, of movement is, is quite frustrating when you look at the, the, how the seriousness of the employment situation in our country. A-teamers, our conversation right now is with Usbusi Sokaba, who is uh, the co-founder and CEO of Africa Cannabis Advisory Group. We're talking about where we are as Africa and uh, as South Africa specifically uh, in the global stage when it comes to the cannabis industry. Please do join in on the conversation. I'd love to hear from you how you feel that we can take this, um, you know, this particular industry by storm as South Africans, because it's not one that is new to us. Call in and Give us your views on 011-714-2006. Or perhaps you've got some struggles that you've been facing in entering into this particular industry. You can also call in or WhatsApp 0614-104107 or SMS on 41391. Now, coming to the world stage, what is the outlook on cannabis? Are big pharmaceuticals, are uh, big companies saying we are taking on cannabis, we are going to explore the benefits because of what we have seen over the years of research? Um, I'd certainly say that uh, that is uh, the case. Um, so over the last couple of, of, uh, of years, uh, billions of dollars have been raised across the globe uh, by uh, cannabis uh, companies, uh, mostly in North America. Um, with Canada having been the first country, uh, uh, first G7 country to fully legalize cannabis. And so we saw billions of dollars being poured into uh, into these businesses. Uh, North America is also uh, quite similar. Uh, uh, sorry, the U.S. is also quite similar um, because um, um, individual states have chosen to legalize uh, cannabis. And so we've seen um, hundreds and thousands of jobs and billions of dollars uh, being invested in uh, being uh, being invested into the industry, um, and the same is, is happening in Europe. So it's it's quite clear that uh, the world realizes the potential of of, of this uh, this opportunity. Um, um, Big Pharma is coming into into the fold a little bit slowly because I think they're sort of using a, a wait and see approach um, as uh, as they sort of observe very cannabis specific companies um, navigate the landscape and you know there have been some notable large-scale uh, acquisitions the largest one uh, being uh, the acquisition of GW Pharma a UK uh, cannabis company that was acquired for um, just over seven billion last year so it's big money you know a lot of uh, uh, sort of economic uh, activity around the sector um, and certainly an industry that uh, I think we can expect to grow at, at a very fast rate over the next uh, decade or so as more countries legalize cannabis. Let me go to the lines. I've got a team uh, caller, Carl, on the line. Good evening, Carl. Good, good evening, Patricia, and to your guest, Sibosisa. Um, Sibosisa is saying exactly what I've been trying to put across to people since 2018. The, the law is such a mess. Uh, I mean, 
Uh, it's like saying alcohol is legal, but you're not allowed to have a bottle store or <laughs> sell liquor. And, but, but his main point of how it can empower, especially the people of the Eastern Cape, if you were to combine wind power, solar power, a co-op system of... Okay, the, the trouble with medicinal cannabis is, is that you have to have certificates of analysis and particular grades and a, a lot of stuff. But, but hemp, with its potential for biodiesel fuel, cloth, soaps, it's just endless. Uh, I mean, the entire wheat triangle could be converted to hemp growing. But why can't they just simplify the laws and empower tens of thousands of people who've existed under white apartheid with helicopters spraying their crops and giving them aborted goats and chickens with Agent Orange for crying in a bucket? It's just waiting there Mm. to empower so many people in a co-op system. Uh, Sorry, but I actually thought I was sending a voice message there, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but but we hear you. We hear you. And this is an interactive mm-hmm. conversation, after all. Yeah. Well, uh, Carl, uh, let me allow Busiso, our guest, uh, to come in on on what you have just raised, Busiso. Um, Carl, thanks so much for your your comments. I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. Um, and Patricia, this is the other side of the coin that we haven't really discussed, which is the industrial uh, applications and use of cannabis. So outside of the medicinal value. Um, the hemp plant itself, the herd um, uh, and uh, the fiber, uh, has actually got incredible use cases as a sustainable material. So as a substitute to everything from plastics to um, um, cement to um, textiles, um, hemp is a extremely durable uh, fiber, and it it actually. Um, can produce products that are carbon neutral or carbon negative. In other words, products that actually take carbon out of the uh, atmosphere in, in the production process and ultimately contribute to a better environment. Um, so this side of the equation is, is one that, um, as, as Carl rightly points out, is, is low-hanging fruit. Um, it's a, a crop we can grow in abundance um, and invest in the right uh, infrastructure and equipment to be able to manufacture in products that can be uh, a substitute to products that um, are damaging to to the environment. Um, And so from our perspective, we are very excited about the medical potential of cannabis. You touched on, you know, the the ability for for, for cannabis uh, and and the potential is shown in in applications such as cancer treatment. And and we've seen some headlines in COVID, even though it's still early days. But the industrial potential is, is absolutely massive. And if you think about the um, labor-intensive work of growing, you know, sort of hectares and hectares, um, you know, even hundreds and th- hundreds uh, and, and even thousands of hectares of, of hemp, uh, and, and the required manufacturing uh, labor, um, it's it's an extremely extremely compelling industry for us to to develop as a country. Um, and so, to call this point, the, the frustration of sort of the confusing regulation and the slow pace. Of, of movement and regulation is one that uh, is, is, is definitely, you know, um, uh, uh, frustrating. Um, but you know, hopefully, in, in, in you know, the next uh, you know couple of months with 
Department of Agriculture having now started to take in applications for hemp cultivation, uh, commercial hemp cultivation, we'll start to see the the tide turn with some positive, uh, you know, operations being set up and so forth. Let me go to another A-team on the line, Lubaba Alwa. Uh, good evening, A-team. Good evening, Mama. Uh, this is Ras Lubabalo in Eastern Cape. Uh, I am the spokesperson of the Rastafari United Front in the Eastern Cape. Um, Mama, thank you about your program. And um, I would, it, I'm very happy for you to come with this forward. Uh, I would like to ask two questions there, Mama. Uh, your, so, your so-called institutions and your so-called government and Africa for cannabis and whatnot. I have a question. Why no, Why are they leaving the Rastafari uh, community behind when they are talking about cannabis? Because globally and universally, Rastafari community has been, has been oppressed for many years, even before uh, the, the dispensation of uh, the the democratic uh, era. We have been the ambassadors of, uh, of, 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 we've been cut our dreadlocks because of, because of these cannabis. But now, people are coming, speaking English on air because of marijuana. And I have four charges, personally, as me as Raskarima here in Eastern Cape. Secondly, why are the cannabis licenses given to white people, but we as black farmers here in, in Eastern Cape, indigenous farmers, we are left behind in, in, in this cannabis. There is only one person which I know here in, in, in South Africa which has a, a license, which is a, a black a, a, which is a black woman, Tandeka Gunene. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Raz Lubabalo. Please, Spusiso, uh, weigh in on uh, the questions that Raz has, sent, has given you. Okay, excellent. Um, thanks so much, um, Raz, for, for those excellent questions. I think on the first point, this is a, this is one area that um, you know I think um, is, is is extremely important. The Rastafarian community has, you know, for decades been the advocates of, of cannabis. You know, uh, we we all um, have um, ha- had a friend or an engagement um, with with someone that's been a proponent of this plant for a long time. And if you go back uh, a decade or two, you know, uh, many of us used to feel that cannabis is dangerous. Cannabis is you know, um, it's the devil's plant and so forth. And I think a special mention has to be made for the activism and the uh, tenacity shown by this community um, in terms of highlighting the, um, the 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 power of this plant. The world has now started to wake up to it, and um, and all of a sudden it's turned into a billion dollar industry. And I do sympathise with the view that the the, the Rastafarian community has been. Uh, neglected in, 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 in sort of this legalization trend, and it's something that has to be rectified. Um, it's something that collectively, as a society, as, as government, as um, a private sector, um, you know, as as, these, as this industry continues to make progress, um, it's, it's, it, I, I feel it's extremely important and key that um, uh, that the Rastafarian community be given. Um, a seat at the table and, and, and a very, very prominent seat at the table because of the contribution that they've made uh, to get us here and, and the contribution that they continue to make in terms of advocating for, for the power of, of cannabis. So I could not agree more um, on, on that point. Um, on, the, um, on the second point, which is, um, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's an area of contention for us as well because 
The challenge with the cannabis regulations as they sit today is that um, they are regulated under the Department of Health and under SAPRA, particularly in the medical cannabis uh, side of things. Um, but because of a number of quirks in the regulation, raising capital for for um, for, for cannabis uh, operation is extremely uh, uh, um, uh Capital-intensive. It's an extremely capital-intensive exercise. So what, what are we very, looking at in terms of figures for capital? Yeah. So at the very, very low end, this is if you're not even setting up, you know, really a, a proper facility. Looking at about five million. Um, to set five up a, million a rand. Yeah. Exactly. To okay. build a facility. And, why and, is this? Why is before you go further, Sbusi, So sure. why is it so expensive for something that sure. has been planted? on African soil for so many years? Sure. So it all, it all, it all boils down to the fact that a, um, the way that a, a, a cannabis license is viewed is that it's viewed effectively as a regulated, a controlled substance. And so you are effectively starting a company that is producing a pharmaceutical input into you know a, a, a formulation and so forth. And so um, under that framework, you... There are extremely uh, um, intensive costs related to compliance, um, related to um, uh, you know sort of security is a huge expense um, in terms of uh, the outlay, in terms of fencing, double fencing, cameras, uh, access control, and so forth. Um, you then also have the cost of a controlled growing environment. So. Under these licenses, you're not sort of just planting the, the, the cannabis outdoors, but you're usually growing it in a uh, greenhouse or uh, sometimes even indoor. Um, and you, there's extra expenses related to it controlling that environment in terms of lighting and, and so forth. So these, these costs very quickly stack up to a point where it becomes, you know, financially, you know, completely out of reach for, for, for most uh, individuals. And so because, um, uh, some of the traditional uh, locations of capital raising are not as yet opened, uh, mainly due to, to sort of regulatory and uh, lack of the regulatory clarity. The, the, the groups that are able to get into the industry are the ones with deep pockets who can fund all of these costs um, uh, pretty much on their own. Um, and so this has created a huge disparity in, uh, in sort of the access to opportunities and the ability for uh, you know, different uh, uh, sort of groups and individuals to enter the industry. Um, right. um, can can I so, ask you yeah. to just hold it there, Sbusiso, and let me quickly go sure. to Atima Aisha, who's on the line. Aisha, thank you for holding patiently. Good evening, Patricia, and good evening to you, Gay. Good evening. Uh, firstly, I'd like to say to you, Gay, um, about the Rasta that called in. Uh, I find that excuses for, for, for the high cost inexcusable. Are you aware of the Nagoya Protocol? So, sis, I think that the question is for you. Aisha, please repeat. So, sis, I didn't get you. Are you aware of the Nagoya Protocol? Nagoya Protocol. It uh, rings a bell, but, but no, not on the top of my head. Okay, let me tell you what it is. It is an international convention which South Africa is a signatory to, which stipulates that our, our plants, our bio, 
diversity, the, the indigenous knowledge holders of the various communities are the owners of that. And any company that uses those plants has to pay the community a percentage. Currently, it is 5%, which I personally feel is hopelessly too low. But mm. that's not my point. My point is that the government must should not use exclusionary monetary tactics to put South Africans into further suffering. One. Two. Nothing about us without us. That means mm. when they draft the legislation, they have to ensure that the locals come first when we're talking about cannabis. Thank you very much, Aisha. Thank you okay. for calling in and educating us on that. Um, so as we wrap up, uh, please just give us your final thoughts. And I know that you, you you are still educating us on other elements, but we do need to move to the next interview. So um, just give us your final thoughts. So I think in uh, in a nutshell, um, the, the points raised by, uh, by the callers and yourselves are, are extremely important. And I think it's a situation now where we as a country have have an an, an incredible opportunity um i think even if you for a minute exclude you know the germany's and the the, these locations where we can export products i think the opportunity to shift our cannabis uh, production and consumption into a legal framework that empowers communities uh that uh, helps uh, our people build wealth um, that um, heals our people through medicine, builds homes, and, and uh, creates a cleaner planet is one, I think, that comes once in a generation, if, if that. Um, and so I think we are, are sitting on an incredible, um, uh, you know, on an incredibly important inflection point in terms of how this industry moves forward. Um, and although I think government has, has, has done some good work in terms of, you know, taking the initiative to, to at least take some steps forward, we really have to um, almost, you know, make sure that we uh, that we move forward in, in a way that realizes the potential in this industry and 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 empowers, you know, the Rastafarian communities, the rural and indigenous growers, um, as pointed out by the last caller, um, and and allows these groups to to truly be part of of of, um, of something remarkable and to take in some ways what's theirs because. You know, they've uh, they've been um, relying on this plant uh, for mental health, for physical health, um, and for economic sustenance in, in many ways. And so, um, we are we are excited about the future of the industry, but we realize that a lot has to be done to fine tune the way forward and 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 ensuring that we can we can really um, improve as a country and and, and see a better life for, for many of our, our, our citizens and our people uh, as we move forward with, with cannabis legalization. Thank you so very much, Busiso, for joining us this evening and shedding some light. Thank you so much, Patricia. Really enjoyed uh, the chat uh, and um, wishing you and the listeners a good evening.
So uh, here's uh, this uh, message on uh, SMS, and I'll read others, uh, just a few others. Um, this one is uh, saying, cannabis is a chemist in one plant. Give thanks to the blessings that is cannabis. My wife and I use and grow cannabis for medical purposes. Legalize 100%. Don't criticize blessings from the mountain in the Cedarburg. Um, and more messages. This one says, uh, here it is. It says, hi, Patricia. I, I think the reason for the high capital cost your guest is talking about is to exclude people. Cannabis is so easy to grow. No fancy equipment is needed. This is from Voyo in Bloemfontein. Hey, teamers, it is uh, 44 minutes after 10. Remember, at 11 o'clock, we go to the news. But now, after this break, we come into our, our social conversation, which is going to be quite a heavy one. We're talking about suicide.